tomorrow ever come? Huh. Hmm, why can a fish get seasick? I have a question. Why does the Easter Bunny bring eggs if rabbits do not lay eggs? The opposite of opposite the same or opposite? What? Why is a pizza box square when a pizza is round? If the truth is different for each of us, how can we call it the truth? If you have a Bible with you, either a printed copy like I have here or a digital copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word to three passages of Scripture this morning. I want you to hold your place there. We're going to look at them in just a couple of minutes. But the first one is Psalm 44. So right there in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 44. And once you find that, I want you to turn to Jeremiah 15. Uh, Jeremiah is one of the major prophets. It's going to be over to your right a little bit. It's a fairly large book. You should be able to find that one. But then Habakkuk chapter 1. Now Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. It's a little bit smaller book. You may have a hard time finding it. But Psalm 44, Jeremiah 15, and Habakkuk 1. Just in the last week, I read about a nine-year-old girl in Chicago, Illinois, who was playing on the sidewalk who was shot and killed by her adult neighbor. The reason she was killed, she was making too much noise. I read about a 22-year-old police officer in Easley who, who died, killed by a train, helping someone who was suicidal on the train track. I read about a New York City cancer doctor who shot and killed her baby and then killed herself in an apparent murder suicide. I read about a 15-year-old Anderson boy who died when a tree fell on him during a storm in his grandparents' front yard. And then I read about the wildfires in Lahana, Maui, where to date at least 80 people are already dead. Probably hundreds more are going to die and thousands are homeless. Have you ever wondered why so many bad things happen? to seemingly people who don't deserve it. We understand when, when drug deals go bad. We understand when criminals fight among themselves. But I think we all struggle when bad things happen to good people. And that's the question that we're going to answer this morning in our series. The question as it came in was like this. The age-old question. Why do bad things happen to good people? And the opposite. Why do good things happen to bad people? Have you ever wondered that? I believe that is one of the main reasons that, that people don't turn to God and people apparently turn from God. 
Charles Templeton was a contemporary of Billy Graham in the 1940s and the 1950s. Many people say that he was a better communicator than Billy Graham, but he turned from the faith. He became an agnostic. He was asked why he turned from the faith, and this is what he said. He said it was a photograph in Time magazine of a woman holding up her dead child in her arms. The child died in a devastating drought. He said this, he said, is it possible to believe in a loving and caring creator when all the woman needed was rain? If God is God and God is loving, then why does God allow suffering? But you need to understand that this question of suffering isn't a new question. It's been around since the beginning of time. And, and many people in the Bible ask this same question. In Psalm 44, verses 23 and 24, David said this. He said, wake up, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Get up. Do not reject us forever. Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and oppression? Jeremiah wrestled with this question. Listen to what he wrote in Jeremiah 15. He said, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord, God of heaven's army. I never joined the people in their merry feasts. I sat alone because your hand was on me. I was filled with indignation at their sins. Now, notice what Jeremiah is saying. God's word changed his life. He fell in love with his creator. And he began to live for his creator to the point that he was unwilling to take part in the sins of his people. He separated himself from them. But then listen to what he says. He said, why then does my suffering continue? Why is my wound so incurable? Your help seems as uncertain as a seasonable brook, like a, like a spring that has gone dry. And Habakkuk said it this way in Habakkuk 1. He said, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate evil. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Probably every one of us at some time or another have struggled with this question. A nationwide survey asked, if you could ask God one question and you knew that he would give you the answer, what would it be? And the number one question was this. Why is there pain and suffering in the world? So how do we make sense of suffering? We need to. We need to understand why there is suffering in the world. Because the truth of the matter is sooner or later, each and every one of us are going to face suffering. And if it's not you, it's going to be someone you dearly love. Because suffering hits each and every one of us. So why? Why is there suffering in the world? Well, I believe the Bible gives us the answer. And what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you three truths from God's Word that, that I believe answer the question of suffering. The first thing I want to share with you is the reason for suffering. And there are really only four options for the reason for suffering. The first one is this. God doesn't exist. We're the product of blind chance. There is no 
creator. It's the survival of the fittest, and oftentimes it's the most wicked, it's the most evil, it's the most violent that survives. And so that's the reason for suffering in the world, but that doesn't make sense. Because when we look at creation, we look at the complexity of creation, we look at the beauty of creation, we realize that there must be a creator. Another possible answer is that God exists, but he's powerless. He's powerless to do anything about our suffering. That's what Rabbi Harold Kushner thought. He wrote the book, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. It became a a, um, New York Times bestseller. And this is what he said. He said that God is all loving, but he's not all powerful. He said that God is doing the best he can. But how could a God create everything out of nothing and be powerless to help in our suffering? That doesn't make sense. The third possibility is that God exists, but he doesn't care. God created us, then he left us alone to to fend for ourselves. He made the world, and then he put the world into motion, and then he said, you're on your own. It's up to you from here on out. And that's what some people believe. Epicurus, the philosopher, said either God wants to abolish evil and cannot, or he can and does not want to. If he wants to but cannot, he is impotent. If he can but does not want to, he is wicked. If, as they say, God can abolish evil and God really wants to, why is there evil in the world? So some people say God exists but God doesn't care. But I think that that everything that we see and we experience in life tells us that there is a God and and that God cares, that God is concerned about our life. And, And so why is there suffering in the world? Well, I believe the Bible gives us another answer and that is that God allows free choice God gives us free will a question that some people ask is why didn't God create a world where there was no evil where there was no suffering in the first place and the answer is he did in Genesis chapter 1 verse 31 it says God saw all that he made and it was very good you need to understand that that God created a perfect world so here's the question if God is not the author of evil and suffering and everything he created is good then where did evil come from in the first place and the answer to that has to do with the fact that God in his wisdom decided to give us free will God created us with the freedom to choose and with the freedom to choose came the possibility of making wrong choices And the problem is we made wrong choices. And when we made those wrong choices, it introduced evil into the world. It introduced sin into the world. Now let's talk about evil for just a moment. There are two types of evil. First of all, there is moral evil, sin. Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. The sin began with the first man and the first woman when they willfully chose to disobey God's command. And that sin has led to every one of us becoming sinners. And that sin has affected each and every one of us. In Psalms 107 verse 17, it says, Some were fools, suffering because of their sins, because of their evil. 
Someone has estimated that 95% of the suffering in the world is the result of our sins and our poor choices or someone else's sins and poor choices. It's not just the the serial killers. It's not just the, the psychopaths. We do sinful things. Other people do sinful things and there are consequences to those sinful things. A drunk driver, a sexual fling, an angry word. And all of a sudden, we discover that our world is turned upside down. And so there is moral evil that results in suffering. And then there is natural evil. There are things like earthquakes and tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, natural phenomena that cause pain and suffering in our life. And these two are the result of sin being allowed into our world. This is how one author explained it. He said, when we human beings told God to shove off, he partially honored our request. Nature began to revolt. The earth was cursed. Genetic breakdown and disease began. Pain became a part of the human experience. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Every part of creation has been affected by sin. Our bodies has been affected by sin. That's why there is disease. That's why there is illness. That's why little children are born tragically with illnesses and diseases. That's why people die young, because we are affected by sin. But I want to make it clear that God is not the author of evil and suffering. It is true that he created a world with the potential for evil and suffering because it was the only way that he could create a world with free will so that we could truly experience what it means to love God and be loved by God. Let me give you an example. You go to the toy store, and you buy one of those dolls that that has the pull string on it. And the pull string says, I love you. And without fail, every time you pull that string, that doll says, I love you. Now, that doll is going to tell you every time you pull the string, I love you. But does that doll love you? No, that doll is incapable of love. That doll is only doing what it has been programmed to do. And God created us with the capacity and the free will to choose to love him or to choose to not love him, to choose to obey him or to choose to not obey him. And when we chose to disobey him, that brought sin and suffering into our world. So the reason for suffering The reason for suffering is because of free will. God gave us that free will, the freedom to choose, and we chose to sin against God, to disobey God, rather than to obey God. And with our sin brought pain and suffering that affected every single part of creation. And until the day that Jesus comes back and makes everything new, there will be suffering in this world. So the reason for suffering. The second thing I want to share with you is the results of suffering. You see, although suffering is not good, God can use our suffering to accomplish good in our lives. You remember the story of Joseph? He was hated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was was unjustly accused by his master's wife. 
He was put into an Egyptian prison and forgotten. But it was there in that Egyptian prison that God allowed him to be in that God used him to bring healing not only to the nation of Egypt, to, to his very own family. Later on, when he was talking to his brothers that had sold him into slavery, Joseph said this, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, we decide whether our suffering is going to turn us bitter or make us better. I want to say that again. We decide whether our suffering is going to turn us bitter or make us better. Philip Yancey said it this way. He said, as I visited people whose pain far exceeded my own, I was surprised by its effects. Suffering seemed as likely to reinforce faith as to sow agnosticism. I want you to hear me very clearly. Suffering will never cause us to turn our back on God if we really know God. Suffering simply exposes a heart that is already more focused on self than the Savior. So what can suffering do? First of all, God can use suffering to draw people to Christ. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to us in our conscience. But he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I know that's what the Bible teaches. Throughout the book of Judges, we see that. The people of God sinned against God, willfully disobeyed him. And because of that, suffering came into their lives. But then when they cried out to God, because of the suffering, God heard them. God responded, and they were brought back into relationship. That's what happens oftentimes with suffering. Lee Strobel tells of meeting a woman who had lived a, a very wild life. She had been far from God her entire life. But later on, she contracted cancer, terminal cancer. And she only had a short time to live. And in her desperation and her pain and her suffering, she cried out to God and God embraced her. She met Jesus. And Jesus gave her joy and peace in the midst of her cancer. And on her deathbed, she made a radical statement before she died. She said, if it took cancer for me to meet Jesus Christ, I thank God for cancer. Can you say that? Can you say, if it takes suffering for me to be where I need to be with God, bring on the suffering? Because that's what she was saying. But let me give you a story that's more close to home. Carson Galloway graduated from River Bluff this past year. And shortly after graduating, he had a motorcycle accident that almost took his life. He lost 80% of his blood. He has had 25 blood transfusions. His right leg had to be amputated. His left arm is partially paralyzed. He literally had to be put back together. He just came home this past week from the Shepherd Center in Atlanta. But God used that awful event, that motorcycle accident, losing a leg, being paralyzed in an arm. God used that to touch Carson and his mother, Emily. And in the next few weeks, they are both being baptized at one of our sister churches, Radius. Suffering 
brought them to Jesus. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, listen. God uses suffering if we will allow it. Second, suffering can develop our character. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 5. He said, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. The truth is, we don't develop character in a vacuum. Character is often birthed in the painful seasons of our life, the suffering times of our life. It comes through difficulty. And so our suffering produces character. And then finally, God can use suffering to discipline us. The author of Hebrews says it this way, God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable Why it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Now, we don't usually relate discipline with the idea of something good, but that's because we confuse punishment and discipline. You see, punishment is retribution for behavior in our past. Discipline is the loving way in which we correct someone's behavior so that their future will be better. If you're a parent, the worst thing you can do if your child is heading in the wrong direction, if they're doing something wrong, is to not discipline them. Now, do you like to discipline your children? No. No parent likes to discipline their children. No one does. But we do something we don't like, which is discipline, in order to achieve something we do like, which is the protection of our children from pain that would befall them if they continue to go in the wrong direction. You see, just like children, our problem is we don't see the big picture. We only see the suffering. We only see the discipline in the moment. But we need to understand that God sees the end result. And many times, we don't understand that God is allowing these things to happen in our life because he loves us. He's disciplining us, trying to get us back on the right track. But oftentimes, we don't see it. We have a limited perspective, and we blame God. We curse God for the things that are happening to us. Why? Because we don't have the big picture, and that's the reality. When we do have the big picture, it changes everything. It changes our attitude. It changes our behavior. Now, I want you to listen to the words of Johnny Erickson Todd. She was paralyzed at the age of 17. She said, every sorrow we face will one day prove to be the best possible thing that could have happened to us. We will thank God endlessly in heaven for the trials he sent us here. This is from a woman who was well acquainted with suffering. And she said, one day when we're in heaven, we're going to end up thanking God for every amount of suffering we have had. So the reason for suffering, our free will, it brought sin, and sin brings suffering. Our response to suffering, what do we do? Well, the first thing that we do is we, excuse me, I've gotten a little out of order here. Not our response to suffering, let me get back to this. Our, I want to remind you of this, the results of suffering, the results of suffering or God can develop our character, 
God can um, bring us to Christ, and God can use it to discipline us. But the final thing I want to share with you is our response to suffering. And the first thing we need to do is remain positive. And I don't say that to minimize your pain or your suffering. I know that many of you have gone through much more pain and suffering than I've ever experienced. And so I don't want to hold myself up as an example. What I want to do is I want us to look at the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul was acquainted with suffering. The Bible tells us that he was beaten with rods. He was beaten with whips. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He went with hunger. He, he thirsted. He was homeless. He experienced far more pain than, than most people ever experienced. And I want you to listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians 6. He said, and we are always happy even in times of suffering. Did you get that? The Apostle Paul. We're happy even in the midst of our suffering. Here's the point. I choose my attitude. I can't choose my situation all the time. I can't choose my circumstance, but I can choose my attitude. I can choose how I'm going to respond to what happens in my life. We've all seen examples of, of people who respond in different ways. Two people go through the same set of circumstances, and one becomes chronically bitter, chronically angry. They run from God. The other goes through the same thing, and, and their heart softens toward God. They run to God, and they end up ministering to other people who are going through the same kind of things that they're going through. Stay positive. The second thing I need to do is remember that suffering is not the end. My suffering is not the end of the story. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory we will reveal, he will reveal to us later. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, he said this. He said, our suffering is light and temporary and is producing for us an eternal glory that is greater than anything we can imagine. The Apostle Paul said, our suffering is light and temporary. Remember what he went through? His beatings? Is being whipped, being stoned, being thrown into prison. He was eventually beheaded. And he said, all of that is light and temporary. And let me explain what I mean. Suppose on the first day of this year, January of 2023, January the 1st, 2023, you had your absolute worst day ever. You had to go into an emergency doctor visit where they did a root canal. And in the midst of the root canal... The anesthesia wore off and they had no more anesthesia. And you were in terrible pain. Then you got into your car to drive home and you crashed and totaled your car. To make matters worse, you crashed into your wife's car. You totaled her car too. When you got home, you discovered that a tornado had taken out your house and you didn't have enough insurance to cover it. Your wife gets sick. Your friend betrays you. He spreads rumors about you. It's the absolute worst day of your life. But then imagine every other day in 2023, beginning January the 2nd, is the best day of your life. On January the 2nd, you have a rich uncle you didn't even know you had who decides to give you your inheritance in advance $42 million. You get promoted at work. You get the job you've always wanted. The New York Times, push your photo on the front page under the title, Person of the Year. Your marriage is amazing. Your health 
is great. You take a two-month vacation on the beaches of Tahiti with your spouse. Everything is wonderful. Uh, so the next year, 2024, someone comes up to you and says, how was last year? Well, you're going to say it was amazing. It was absolutely wonderful. It was the best year of my life. But then they're going to say, but wait a second. Wasn't the first day of the year really bad? You're going to go, oh, yeah, well, yeah, that, that first day, it was, it was pretty bad. But compared to all the 364 days since then, it was nothing. I've even forgotten that day. And that's what heaven's going to be like. You see, our suffering here isn't the end. We can go through 72 years of chronic pain every day. But just imagine in heaven, after 100,000 years of perfect bliss in the presence of Almighty God, having the rest of eternity to look forward to, someone comes up to you and says, how has your existence been so far? And you go, man, it's been amazing. Being in the presence of God is better than I ever could have imagined. And I can imagine that I get to do this forever. And forever I get to experience the beauty of the new heavens and the new earth. This is amazing. And the person says, but wait, before you got here, didn't you have kind of a tough life? And you go, yeah, life was tough down there on earth. But compared to here, it's nothing. There was a radical statement made by a Christian woman who had lived a life of suffering and pain. And at the end of her life, she said this. She said, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth, a life of the most atrocious tortures on the planet, will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. A British pastor was having a conversation with a young man. This young man fell down some wooden stairs when he was one years old, and because of that, he was in chronic, terrible back pain. And the young man who was 17 years old said that God was fair. And this pastor was talking to him and said, so tell me a little bit about your life. I know that at one, you fell down these stairs. How many years have you been in the hospital? He said, I've been in the hospital 13 years. 13 of his 17 years, he was in the hospital. And the pastor looked at him and said, how can you say that God is fair? The 17-year-old boy smiled and said, because God's got all eternity to make it up to me. And listen, God does. You may think that your life is tough down here right now, but I want to remind you what the Apostle Paul said. He said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. It hasn't entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. God has something prepared for us that we cannot even begin to imagine. So remain positive. Remember that suffering is not your end. And then finally respond to the suffering Savior. When Isaiah the prophet was foretelling what the Savior would be like, this is what he said in Isaiah 53. He said he was despised, rejected by people. He was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. He was despised like one from whom people turned their faces. We didn't even consider him to be worth anything. He certainly has taken upon himself our suffering and 
carried our sorrows, but we thought that God had wounded him, beat him, and punished him. Oh, dear friends, Jesus is the answer to the question of suffering. As one philosopher said, Jesus is there sitting with us in the lowest places of our lives. Are you broken? Jesus was broken like bread for you. Are you despised? Jesus was despised and rejected by men. Do you cry out that you can't take it anymore? The Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with our grief. Did someone betray you? Jesus was betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. Have someone left you, abandoned you, denied you? Jesus was denied by one of his best friends shortly before he died. Does God enter into your pain and suffering? You better believe he does. That's how much he loves you. Jesus knows your suffering. He knows you. And he wants you to know him. And I want you to know, when you know him, it changes the way you look at suffering. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, listen to me. If you know Jesus, it changes the way you look at suffering. To know Jesus doesn't mean you won't face suffering. You will. We're even promised that. But when you know Jesus, your perspective changes. Because Jesus has changed you. So let me ask you a question. Have you been changed by Jesus? I mean, have you really been changed? Because that's what the Bible says when we come to know him. We're born again. We're made new. Old is gone. Everything has become new. Jesus changes us from the inside out. So have you been changed? That doesn't mean that you'll respond the way you should all the time because we're still works in progress. God's still working on each and every one of us. But what it does mean is when you come to know Jesus, he changes you on the inside. And the Bible says that he will give you both the desire and the power to do his good will. Even if that means facing suffering. So do you know him? Have you given your heart and life to him? Have you acknowledged that you are a sinner? And have you turned from that sin, acknowledging your sinning rebellion against God? Have you placed your trust in Jesus, not only to save you for all eternity, but to be with you and guide you and direct your life here and now? Have you surrendered your life to him as the Lord, the master of your life? Oh, when you do that, it does change everything. It changes the way you look at suffering. It changes the way you face suffering. You'll begin to see suffering as an opportunity to bring glory to your creator, even in the midst of the suffering. You'll see it as temporary, recognizing that God has something far better for you to look forward to in the future. You don't focus on the suffering. You focus on the Savior. Do you know him? I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I believe with all my heart, 
with every ounce of my being, I believe with all my heart, if you're here today and you've never humbly surrendered your life to Jesus, the one reason you're here is to know Jesus. He has you here because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And you may be here because someone invited you. You may be here because your parents made you come. You may be here because it's a habit that you have. But I'm here to tell you the reason you're here is because Jesus loves you. And he desires a relationship with you. And he wants you to give your heart and life to him today. And so I beg you, I plead with you. Don't leave here today without giving your life to Jesus. But then second, if you're here and you're suffering, and I know some of you are, there's an answer to your suffering, and that's Jesus. Doesn't mean that your suffering will go away. It may not, this side of eternity. But you'll have someone with you in the midst of your suffering who will never leave you, who will never forsake you. Your suffering may be physical. Cry out to Jesus. Your suffering may be relational. Cry out to Jesus. I don't know what you're going through, but he does. In just a moment, when we have our altar time, our altar is going to be open. You come here and you just pour your heart out to your creator who loves you. And he'll hear your prayers. Father God Almighty, this is your time. And I ask you to have your way. I pray, Father, that no one will leave here today without doing what you are calling them to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me.